Welcome to the Caught Red-Handed Podcast. You're listening to episode 20, which is the third installment in a four-part series of the Mixology Mixtape, where I interview a variety of experts on their henna mix. Today, the West and the East are represented by Sarah Walters in Seattle and Rebecca Friedner in Vermont, with Deborah Brummer in the flyover state of Ohio right in the middle. So get ready for even more ways to experiment with paste mixing. A quick side note on my upcoming appearances, I'm teaching a workshop in August, on August 30th here in Brooklyn, New York. You can find more information about that at kenzie.com. Also, I will be teaching Advanced Moroccan with Noam Siena and live podcasting at HennaCon this year. I'm really excited that they invited me to teach and also that they're willing to take the chance on a live podcast. So some details about the conference. It's going to be in Camarillo, California, October 17th through 19th of this year. It features an amazing array of teachers and students, and you really don't want to miss out on meeting all these amazing people. For more information, you can register at hennacon.com. That's H-E-N-N-A-C-O-N.com. All right, I hope to see you there. It's been a little over a year, exactly one year and three months since I started this podcast. I started it for myself because I really loved listening to podcasts. A lot of the podcasts that I listened to back then and still listen to are comics interviewing comics, but other artists as well. You might think that these, that these podcasts would just be kind of nonstop joking, but instead it was the interviewer and the guests really got into some interesting and sometimes really deep subjects like spirituality, mental health, alternative nutrition, creative process, environmentalism, quantum theory, etc. As I listened to these conversations, I kept thinking of how cool it would be to listen to henna artists talk to henna artists. And then it finally dawned on me that I could be that henna artist talking to henna artists. So I secured the domain name just to get started, and I started a blog but didn't actually publish it. And then after about a year of procrastination slash research, I finally got the podcast off the ground. I had no idea there was so much equipment and software required to have a conversation between two people. I kind of hoped that people would listen to it, but I never imagined that the podcast would gain so many fans so quickly. I know that I was doing something never before seen in the henna community, but sometimes things like podcasts are so new that people don't even know what to do with them. Every time I get an email or a comment from one of you listeners, I'm surprised all over again what a success the podcast has been. I call it a success because I actually got it out there after so many obstacles, and also because, based on listener feedback, I know that it hits the notes that I wanted it to hit. Uh, If you measure success by uh, financial metrics, uh, this is not a very successful podcast, but I don't, so I consider it a huge hit. Because of how I was raised, I feel weird posting compliments, though it's kind of a humble brag to even admit that they exist. But I did want to read a few emails which specifically refer to how the podcast has affected their henna lives. And in my effort to feign humility, I won't read the compliments that accompany these comments. So I heard from a, an Australian henna artist, she goes by the name of Hannah Harpy, and she has a formal arts background, and she said that Nick's interview she really identified with, she said, I have the same problematic relation with henna when it comes to wanting to see more innovative designs that are well-researched and show range in terms of understanding and appropriating ornamental art. And then from Nev, who I have interviewed for this podcast, she said, On my ride up to Vermont, I finished listening to Harold's interview, and I also listened to the whole Rebecca interview. Besides being quite honored, I was so inspired. Thank you, Kenzie, for doing this work. 
hearing the variety of artists' processes and influences shows us how it, important it is to just be you. I also got a nice long email from Katana Padilla, and you may have seen her work. She does kind of Polynesian-inspired designs, and she said, quite inspiring stuff, Kenzie. It's mind-boggling how my personal struggles with art and business are being somehow mirrored through these interviews. Much synchronicity with what's been going on in my mind, intentions being reborn, thinking of revamping my designs to represent both aesthetics and meaning. We're all influencers in this multicultural art. I somehow forgot that in the abundant fake tattoo-seeking culture I work with, the mass-producing machine I've become. Zaki Wright, who is a Canadian artist, and when she wrote this, she was still kind of a beginner, but I think she's a little bit more advanced now. She said that the podcast feels like when you catch up with a friend or a family member that you didn't see in a while and you wish time could stop so you didn't have to stop having that conversation. And so you just end up talking until the middle of the night. And Antoinette Hippe, who is in the Seattle area, she wrote a very long, lovely email. I just want to give you a little excerpt of it. She says, tonight as I was driving home, I had a full hour to listen to the most recent podcast. It was hard sometimes to listen because it was dark and the tears that pricked the backs of my eyes threatened to blur my vision dangerously. I realized while I listened to Noam talk about his amazing experience in that Toronto festival, and again when he described his role as a ritual organizer, that I found in audio form another source of inspiration much like Loretta Room's book to go to when I'm feeling least connected to my art form to recharge my good juju and become more. This podcast is is there for people like this and for all of you out there who are listening and finding inspiration from the people I interview. So let's get right into the pace mixing inspiration from Sarah, Deb, and Rebecca. Enjoy. So I am here with Sarah, who is in Seattle. Sarah, could you say your full name? Yep, my name is Sarah Walters. And you are in Kirkland, if I remember correctly. Right. Suburb of Seattle. Okay. Yeah. Um, For those of you listening who don't remember, Sarah was part of our bridal panel. And I think that was last fall that we did that. So you can go back and find that episode if you want to hear more from Sarah. So we're here to talk about mixing henna. And so the first thing I want to know about are your ingredients. So could you talk about the ingredients you use and go ahead and name brands and... Um, you know, whatever detail you want to give. Mm-hmm. Sure. I try to keep a pretty simple mix for the most part. Um, I use um, my own brand of henna powder, mm-hmm. um, which I call Suraja. It's just mm-hmm. an organic Rajasthani henna powder. And um, I use water and cane sugar and um, organic essential oils. You always use water? No, actually, I used to use lemon juice um, exclusively, and um, I did like it just fine, although I ultimately moved away from it um, for a couple of reasons. One um, was that I didn't like with lemon juice how as the, the stain is fading, it has kind of that greenish tone to it. I didn't like that at all. And, and, um, you know, I had heard some people saying that when they use water, it wasn't like that. And, and I experimented with it and I did like the fade out of the water mix better. Um, but also, you know, when I'm doing it professionally, I just prefer to keep it as simple as possible, avoid as many, um, sensitivities and allergies as possible. And so, um, 
if I can avoid encountering, you know, somebody with a citrus sensitivity that doesn't want the lemon juice, I don't even have to worry about it. And so I like that too. Yeah. And if you get a color you like, it really shouldn't matter. Right. And what is your, what are your favorite essential oils to use? Mm, You know, um, I pretty much exclusively use Kajaput as my base. Uh Um, I think like most artists probably do, but um, I think I heard from you about the Nayuli and I hadn't tried that before. And I did recently and I did really like that. That has has a nice nice. kind of mellower scent. And so I'm kind of playing around with that a little bit. Um, But the Kaj definitely for um, just because it's, it's a great price and it does the job. (laughs) Yeah. And I do like the smell, but um, I like to mix it up, too. I kind of play with the essential oils a bit, and I really like cardamom. I like frankincense. Yeah. And we had a little problem with the sound there. So you were saying you sometimes like to use cardamom, frankincense, and what were the others? Mm, and the citrus scents, like sweet orange and lemongrass. I love oh, those. okay. Yeah, those are nice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Kedge puts your workhorse. It is. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's- that usually makes up the bulk of the of the oil that I add to the paste, and then it's it's kind of a few drops of this, a few drops of that, depending on my mood. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask you about is the liquid that you add, or in your case, the water. What temperature do you usually have it at? Cold, warm, uh, medium, hot? Room temperature. Room temp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you choose that? Um, I guess... Um, Mostly because I want it to be, um, I don't want to use cold because um, cold is going to slow down the process and and I usually want to just kind of get things going right away. Um, But I don't like to use hot just because I don't want to mess with, um, you know, any issues with overcooking the paste if I use it really hot or burning off the essential oils or something like that. Yeah. so, you know, I think room temperature has just always worked great for me. And so I stick with that. Um, part of it is that I also drink my water room temperature. And, yeah. <laughs> and I use I use the water that I use for drinking in my henna. So. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And when you measure out the ingredients to make a batch of henna, are you actually measuring it, you know, with measuring cups and spoons, or are you just kind of eyeballing it? it's a little of both (laughs) um and part of it is I do start by measuring so Uh um you know and I'm usually mixing um in quantities of 100 grams of henna so I'm either dumping in you know one packet or multiple packets so I'm not measuring that out um but based on that I am measuring my water to start and I am measuring my oils and my sugar Mm um and I don't really I don't really um, vary the amount of oils that I'm using, but of course, water and sugar I'll vary. And so I have kind of a starting point and then I'll adjust after that based on what seems to be going on with the paste. Okay. So it's like following the recipe and then kind of adding salt to taste and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. That's a great analogy. When do you add your essential oils? I add them right at the beginning with all the other ingredients. Okay. And then because you do it, room temperature liquids it's not gonna cook off the oils like you said exactly yeah. right and then um all right so you were, uh, the next question i was going to ask you is how big your batches are so at least 100 grams possibly more yeah um 
Exactly. So um, the smallest batches that I'm making, like I mentioned, 100 grams, that's usually if um, I'm doing a bridal. I prefer to have um, the bridal mixes be super fresh and I'm using yeah. them right away yeah. um, rather than freezing first. And so that's usually how I mix those. And then if I'm going into, you know, a busy season, like we're about to with grad nights and festivals mm -hmm. and all that, mm -hmm. then, um, then I'll do a few, but I'm actually still not doing a ton all at once. I prefer to kind of do small batches. So, um, I think the most I mix up is usually three or 400 grams is all. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm never doing, you know, a big giant, um, mix like I've seen some people do sometimes. Yeah. And mostly then... because. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, that's okay. Mostly? Mostly because I, you know, I just don't like um, dealing with the quantities of all of the other ingredients and I'm afraid that I'm going to mess it up and I know I've got a good thing going with the batches I'm yeah. doing right now. Yeah. And so I know that even when I, even the difference between say 100 and 300 grams, it feels a little bit different when I'm, you know, dunking the spatula into the henna, you know, because yes. you've got so much more there. Yeah. And so I'm used to that feel and I'm used to being able to tell, yeah, that's exactly the way I want it. And, yeah. you know, I just feel like if I mixed some, you know, 500 or 1000 gram batch that I, you know, throw myself off or something. So. Yeah, definitely. And I'd be nervous. Like if that's the one that I screwed up, that's, you know, oh, 500 yeah, exactly. grams of henna exactly. wasted, not just, you know, a hundred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what kind of tools do you use? I heard you were mentioning spatula. Do you mix everything by hand or do you use electric mixers? If I'm doing a larger batch, then yes, I'm using an electric mixer. Um, you know, I've got one of those nice, um, you know, like Cuisinart blenders and, and that just does the job um, really well. But um, more often than not, I have sort of a special spatula that I always use to mix with otherwise by yeah. hand. Yeah. So it's all stained and, you know, mm. and uh, brown. And <laughs> I use that every time with, um, I have a couple different bowls. So I have sort of a medium-sized stainless steel bowl um, that I use. And then I also actually use like a little um, like Tibetan singing bowl. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, which I did once just for a little, um, like for a photo shoot. Oh, and, yes. and decided, actually, this is a really great size bowl when I'm doing small batches. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's kind of aesthetically nice and it's heavy. And so it's easy to hang on to when I'm mixing. Yeah, and so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what I use. <laughs> that's really awesome. And then another thing that a lot of people who are just starting out making their own paste struggle with is consistency. So yeah. how do you test consistency? How do you know when it's right? And do you ever just cone up a little just to see how it comes out of your cone? Uh, you know, I am really lazy. Um, and so that means that I, I hardly ever test it. So, you know, I'll just, I mean, I'll check it before I cone it up, but I never cone a small amount just to see what it's like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's so silly because every once in a while, if I don't get it quite right, I'm kicking myself because, you know, I've got 20, 30, 40 cones of that stuff ready to go. Yeah. Um, and so it definitely makes more sense to test it first, but I, I never do that. Uh, <laughs> so you can, so, I, you can eyeball it enough to know when it's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it really doesn't happen very often that I get it wrong uh, anymore. Anyway, I mm -hmm. used to have a lot more mistakes, of course, but, but no, I've got a pretty good thing going now and, and it has to do with, um, of course, video would be easier, but kind of dunking that spatula in and watching yeah. the way the, the paste flows off. 
Um, and you know, I think that I like it somewhat thin, but not as runny as I've seen others using. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting when you meet other henna artists and you use their tool and, and experience what it's like to use a different consistency. Right. Right. And, yeah. But then that also makes it hard to teach your students what they, yep. you know, how they should do their consistency because it really will depend on how they choose to work. And, and that may be something that's evolving as well. Well, exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that tends to not leave well enough alone. I'm always <laughs> messing with it. And I think, you know, I get used to, I was using a thicker paste for a while and I really liked some of the, the things that I could do with that, um, with my designs. Um, but, you know, after a while I started seeing some other things I wanted to try that would require a thinner paste. So then I switched to doing something a bit thinner and, you know, I kind of wish that, you know, I had the you know, um, energy, I guess, to batch up, you know, a couple of different mixes at a time. So I could always have either one at my disposal to use when I want to, because, you know, they, they both have their pros and cons. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's some days when you're, when you're doing a party and you know, there's just going to be tons and tons of henna. It'd be nice if it were thin and you could just kind of throw it out of your cone very easily. Just crank them out. Yeah. Yeah. But then you regret that, you know, the lines flatten out a little, so yeah. you can't work as finely. So yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a balance. Definitely. And then what about dye release? Are you, um, how are you timing it? Or do you just know your henna well enough where you're just like, okay, it's this many hours it's done. Let's clone it up. You know, actually, um, I usually mix mine. like almost, I think, I think probably there have been two or three times when I did not do it this way. Otherwise, I'm always mixing it late in the evening mm-hmm. between 8 and 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. I let it sit overnight, and then I'm going and coning it up first thing in the morning mm. around the same time of day. So, it's, so 12 you know, hours roughly. Yeah, and it's yeah. when I have done it a couple times during the day, it is ready faster than that. It seems like, and of course that, that changes um, year to year, but... Um, and depending on the conditions, but you know, it seems like it's probably ready in more like five. So, or eight. And so I'm probably letting mine sit a little longer than mm-hmm. it needs to, but yeah. that process has been working really well for me. So that's what I always do. I'm actually writing that down. Cause you know, I'm using your henna now. So, oh <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Right. Let me, Cause I also, I work full time. Well, I guess you work full time too. And so I, I have to time creating my henna. Um, you know, and usually it's hard to mix henna before work. So I, I usually do it in the evenings. Exactly. If I have a gig the next day, I don't usually have time to cone it up the next day. So I end up either using frozen or my henna sits there for about 24 hours before I actually use it. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why I'm mixing it, you know, so late in the evening because, um, you know, it's not sitting any longer than it really has to. Um, and not too much anyway. And then, and then first thing in the morning, I am usually coning it up at that point. In the morning? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or at the very least, you know, getting it into a carrot bag and then freezing that. Um, so yeah, that's oh, okay. usually how I do it. I, I do test it. I do always do the dye test mm-hmm. in the morning, um, on my skin. I'm using, I'm using a fingertip or the heel of my hand. Yeah. Um, you know, just for assurance, I like to see, yep, it's good, but invariably I think with that period of time you're not going to have an issue with it unless you're using a henna that has a really long dye release time yeah 
Yeah. And I'm also, you know, I'm using that henna and doing water and kajaput and using room temperature. So I'll give that yeah. timing. a. Um, I think maybe I'm letting it sit a little bit too long. Still getting good color, but you know, if I could get even better, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And then, um, so you freeze your henna. Do you freeze it in the carrot bag or do you freeze it in cones? Um, most of the time I prefer to get it into cones. Um, if I'm, if I'm doing a smaller batch, definitely cones, um, because I like to have them ready to go so I can just grab what I want. Yeah. Um, instead of having to thaw an entire carrot bag. Yeah. Um, and but then if I'm fill the cones, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then I'm trying to avoid refreezing at that point. So if I'm going to thaw true. a whole carrot bag, I'm, I'm planning on using it all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's typically what I'm doing. Unless if I'm mixing a very large batch, then you know I might do some cones and then the rest in carrot bags. Yeah. And then when you do put your cones in the freezer, how do you put them in there? What? How do you wrap them up or pack them up? <laughs> I'll, I'll be interested to hear what other people are doing. I feel <laughs> yeah, like I kind an, of it's been an interesting mix. <laughs> yeah, because I I feel like I kind of baby them a little bit because I really just don't want them to be freezer burned and yeah. and I, I want them to come yeah. out perfectly. But I don't know. There there are probably ways to even you know do more than what I'm doing. But I usually I get a paper towel in there to kind of wrap around them, mm -hmm. and then put them into a Ziploc freezer bag, mm -hmm. um, and then I put them in another Ziploc freezer bag. Oh okay, yeah, that's and about what I do too. Is it? Yeah. yeah. So um, somebody was, else I interviewed goes way, way farther than that. You'll have to listen for that one. Oh my gosh. That should be funny. Yeah. yeah. Cause I've got all these baggies in there and of course I'm yeah. labeling them all. I usually yeah. put a date and then I put, you know, what oils I used. Oh, that's um, a good idea. And then anything else that I noticed about the consistency before I coned it up, like this seems to be on the thinner side or this is, you know, this has got extra sugar in it. You know, I, I mean, keep it pretty simple, but I do put little notes like that so I yeah. can remember. Yeah. That's a very good idea. So far I've just been putting the date. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then when I was kind of trying different kinds of henna, I was labeling what kind of henna I used. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, have you had any mixing disasters? Uh, I did a few years ago. Um, I had a really awful experience, actually. Um, and I obviously, I, you know, I don't know exactly what I did differently, except that I just it was too thick, mm. way too thick. Mm. And so I found when I took it to an event and I was using it. I just, I mean, I, I broke my hand, like not, not literally, but like, yeah. I just, it got to a point where I was trying to do designs and I literally was, I was reaching, I'm right-handed. So I'm reaching over with my left hand to apply the pressure to squeeze oh, God. and then using my right hand to guide it because oh. my hand was getting so fatigued, even with a fairly, you know, wide opening in the tip. It was just, it was awful. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. So that was that was pretty unpleasant. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never had, um, a too runny type of issue except when I was really just starting out. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think when I first started, I was kind of all over the place, too thick, too thin, mm -hmm. but, um, but by every the time... gig was like a little surprise, like how's my kind of going to be today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but the past few years, it's been it's been pretty stable. But I did have that one time, and I will never forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we learn from those, or at least yep. we we should learn from those. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, if you had three pieces of advice for every newbie out there who's starting to make their own henna paste, what would those three pieces of advice be? 
Oh, three. Hmm. <laughs> Just <All right>. three. <laughs> okay. No more, no less. Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is um, experimenting. Um, you know, you're, I remember hearing so many different types of advice from so many different people, um, whether it was, you know, in online forums or on somebody's published website or blog or whatever it yeah. was, um, you know, always use lemon juice, never use lemon juice, always use a plastic bowl, never use a plastic bowl, right. you know, all, these, <laughs> all these different things. And I just... Um, it, it can be kind of overwhelming and confusing. And, and so I think it's just, it's really important to um, experiment and figure it out for yourself what works for you, because some of that is just subjective. It's just preference. Um, and some of it is, is real. And so yeah. um, it's, and I think it's always valuable to learn something for yourself um, yeah. as, as opposed to, you know, you just And so you follow it just because that's what you were told. Something, um, um, I just missed something. Could you repeat that? You just what? Uh, just not, not following it straight out of a book. Oh, okay. Um, and learning it for yourself is, I think, always more valuable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so that's the first piece of advice. The second is um, just because you're starting out, I don't think that means you should skimp on quality uh -huh. um, because you'll just frustrate yourself with um, poor results that may or may not have had anything to do with the way you're mixing. Yeah, um, and henna is so cheap. It's probably yeah. the cheapest thing, part, well, except for maybe the sugar and the water, but it's way cheaper than the essential oils. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, make sure that, you know, you're using a, a good quality henna powder um, that it's that it's nice and fresh. You're buying from a, a reputable artist. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the quality of the essential oils matters, too. Um, and I think that that probably just starting out getting a kit or something like that is probably helpful just yeah. to get going, because. Yeah. There's just there's so much that you don't know, and so if you have, for example, somebody who maybe just think it sounds kind of fun, and hey, there's this event coming up where I could do it as a charity thing. Uh -huh. Well, you know, there may be some things that you should know about that before you start applying <laughs> to other people, right? Yeah, um, definitely. Not just for good results, but also safe, um, yeah. safe results. So yeah. um, that's important, and of course, with you know all the attention that henna crowns are getting lately, making sure you're using the right ingredients and following the right procedures for that. Yeah. Um, so in general, always good to connect with a, a professional artist. And uh, let's see, a third piece of advice. You can leave it at two if you want to. I'm not. I'm not that much of a stickler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think yeah, those are pretty good. I'll, yeah. I'll throw out another one if it comes to me. Okay. So actually, the last question I want to ask you is, how do you feel when you're mixing henna? What things are going through your your mind, or what are your feelings around it? Hmm. What an interesting question. <laughs> Thank you. I know, really, because um, I really enjoy it. I love the process of mixing. Um, I don't love the process of making cones and filling cones and packaging mm -hmm. them up. And that, that kind of drives me crazy. But the actual mixing of the paste is a really awesome aesthetic experience, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I honestly don't think I'm really thinking about much other than just kind of enjoying, you know, the mixing and stirring and looking at the consistency and 
um, you know, adding my oils and it's, you know, of course it's a, um, sort of an aromatherapy experience too. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Very sensual. Um, so I think, I think I'm really just enjoying the experience. I'm not, I'm not thinking about a whole lot other than, you know, at the very end, once I've had dye release and I'm kind of finishing up my paste and making sure the consistency is right, then I'm thinking more technically about, you know, is it stringy enough? Is it thin enough? Um, but not too thin, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You get like a little, um, vacation, a little brain vacation while you're mixing henna. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. That's nice. So, um, thank you very much for meeting with me and coming in from out of doors to, uh, to talk to me about mixing henna. It's been really interesting. Sure. Good. It was great talking to you. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the responses too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think I have like 13 different people, so it should be, it should be a really interesting variety. Wow. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. All right. Thanks. Bye, Sarah. Bye. So I'm here with Deborah Brommer. Uh, actually, Deb, can you just say your name for me? Yes, it's Deborah Brommer. Oh, okay. So I got it right. Perfect. And, and do you care if I call you Deb, Deborah? Uh, Deb or Deborah are fine, uh, just not Debbie. I uh, grew up in a suburb of Columbus uh, where we all walked to school. And right on Main Street was a porno movie theater. <laughs> and once a year, Debbie Does Dallas would be up on the marquee. Oh, God. Yeah, that was a, always a rough month at school. Oh, I remember always hoping maybe next year it'll just show in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and kids will just find anything in your name to make fun of. So, yeah, I, oh. my last name got it too, Brommer. Yeah, I would get Broomer. Um, you know, and they'd make sweeping motions. I don't know why that upset wow, that's me so not, much. Yeah, that's not even funny. <laughs> I know. Um, and then I also got bomber. And they would make that whistling and exploding sound. Um, yeah, also not funny. God. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. you know, anything, anything that makes you stand out when you're yeah uh, a kid is embarrassing. Yeah, so. yeah, I know. <laughs> and so people who name their kids crazy things, it's like, go ahead, they'll find, they'll tr- they'll make fun of you if your name is John Smith. So go ahead and call your child Apple or Moon Unit. It really doesn't make any difference. <laughs> That's actually maybe even better because yeah. you know you expect it. Yeah, exactly, and you're prepared, <laughs> right? right. Well, with a last name like Butterworth, I definitely had to put up with it a lot. Oh my God, I'll bet you did. I never yeah. even thought of that. Lots yeah. of syrup jokes. Yeah, yeah. And why are you so thick and rich? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's really a compliment. But, yeah. you know. <laughs> I don't mind being rich, you know, <laughs> that's okay. You can wish that on me. That's fine. <laughs> and then now people call me Mrs. Butterworth and I'm like, yeah, that's my mom's name. Thanks. <laughs> Still a little weird. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, for our listeners out there, I hope that this conversation doesn't sound really stale and um, stilted. But Deb and I recorded, well, actually, we met to record our conversation yesterday, and I forgot to press record. So we're doing it again. But I had a mind, uh, mind wipe in the meantime. So I've forgotten everything that you said. And so all of my reactions are going to be natural as if this is the first time I'm hearing it. 
Excellent. <laughs> okay. So we're here talking about mixing. And I do remember that it was a really interesting conversation. I was very heartbroken that uh, I did not record it, but um, those answers are still in you. So we're going to get them back. Okay. So first thing I want to ask you about is what brands do you use? What are your ingredients and also, and specifically what brands you use? I think a lot of people like to hear suggestions of what people really like. Uh, well, I am not loyal to any one brand of henna. Um, when I first started doing henna, um, my sister lived in Morocco for about three years. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Where did she live? Uh, she lived in Teza in the Atlas Mountains. <gasps> I've been there. It's beautiful, it isn't is. it? It is, yeah. And they have the gorges or the cave or something. Uh, yeah, actually, <sighs> totally off topic. Uh, she studied bats there uh, for in a while. In that cave? In those, in those uh, caves in the Atlas Mountains. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's this um, cedar forest yep. that's at the very top. And it has a service road to get to. You drive on a shale. And so it feels like the road is slipping out underneath you oh, and yeah. the road is angled to the edge of the mountain, which Ugh. is a cliff. Mm -hmm. um, it was the most terrifying drive of I've driven Ugh. in countries all over the world and Morocco was definitely the worst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was really terrifying. But that spot up there is um, something that I use a lot when I do like my... Um, meditations and you're supposed to find like this otherworldly oh, place yeah. to go that's you know on another plane that's beautiful and peaceful yeah. and that, that always comes to mind oh that's so cool yeah there's so many places like that that are very otherworldly and the road to them is scary i've i've i don't think i've ever had such scary driving experiences as i've had there <laughs> Uh, even in the towns, because yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> like, move out of the road. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> but that's anyway. so funny. Yeah, so anyway, your sister was in Morocco. Uh, so I would go and visit her while she was there. Cool. Um, so I would, quote unquote, smuggle <laughs> uh, tons of henna home with me. You know, back in those days, you're nervous, you know. What are they going to think this green powder is? <laughs> right, right. You know? um, and so I always worked with Sahara Tazarine to begin with, just because that's all I had available to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And that made me uh, really love stringy henna mm. because that's what I started with yeah. uh, was stringy henna. Yeah, me too. Um, in the last couple of years, I've gotten a little way away from the stringy henna just because, um, you know, as you know, different years, different crops, uh, the hennas have different characteristics. And for a while, it wasn't so easy to find henna that was super, super stringy. Yeah. Um, but I generally use whatever I have in my stash. Uh, you know, <laughs> I travel around and my friends are suppliers and they're like, oh, try this one. So, you know, I have all these random uh boxes of henna mm -hmm. in my in my stash in the basement Ooh, uh, nice. and I'll just pull stuff out randomly um I just recently made a batch that was super super stringy um and it was the snottiest like bread dough <laughs> Um, but it, it's, uh, and I was kind of out of the habit of working with, uh, with stringy henna, but it's, it's fun to be back with it again. Yeah. Um, but I really feel like as a professional henna artist, I should be able to work with any henna that I come across. 
Mm, yeah. Um, and I just adjust uh, the way I apply pressure. You know, I do the draping of lines as like my little testing with whatever henna I'm using mm-hmm. uh, and try to get across a whole page and, you know, doing eight inches of a draped line really shows me the characteristic of whatever paste I'm working with. Yeah, definitely. And then what do you usually use for your liquid? Um, I am of the uh, lemon juice school. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I have uh, developed a sensitivity to citrus. Oh, you you yourself have? Yes. Oh, wow. um, and I'm fairly certain that it's because I started henning my hair on a regular basis. And having that large amount of lemon on my scalp for so long. Oh, you uh, used lemon in your hair henna. Uh, yeah, I just used lemon in everything um, at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I stopped using it in my hair mm-hmm. with lemon. Uh, and I use amla now oh, in okay. mix for my hair to make it slightly acidic, but without the citrus. Yeah. Because uh, I really find that I get better color because uh, I like it dark. You know, I yeah. like auburn. Because yeah. I have dark brown hair. Oh, right. Naturally. Yeah. Um, but in my uh, in my body art mix, I was still using lemon because for me, on my palms and the backs of my hands, I wouldn't notice the sensitivity. It would be just if I would trail up onto like my forearm or my wrist. Wow. That's so weird. Because <laughs> um, just because the skin is thinner there. Yeah. Um, but now uh, I generally use apple juice because it's slightly acidic um but uh but it doesn't have that citrus yeah yeah interesting and then what essential oils do you like to use um again i kind of use whatever i have on hand uh (laughs) i'm not really committed to any one type you know i know the ones that work well and i get them from uh suppliers who i know also know what they're Mm -hmm. supplying me um but yeah, I just kind of use whatever I have on hand. Um, I I do a lot of conferences, um, and uh, I will be associated in a way with uh, certain suppliers at different events, and I need to use their products and oh, show okay. people, you know, look, this is what you can get from American Body Art Henna or you know oh, okay. uh, Mahandi or uh, you know. Um, Maybe I'll be teaching at HennaCon, and I'm using the henna that's supplied by Henna Caravan. Right. Uh, so, you know, I use whatever is on hand, and, um, uh, you know, when I'm at those places, I'll buy from those suppliers different essential oils, and that's what I use. Very cool. And I just use a plain white table sugar oh, as okay. my sweetener. So you are a sugar person. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I am definitely a sugar person because I do not want to, I don't want to seal. I don't want people to come back to my booth. Yeah. They never do either. And, and I don't want somebody to be like, Oh, you mean I have to go walk around for 15 minutes and then I have to try to end up back here and make my friends return for the part of the festival. they And I know my henna is good. So you know, if a little bit of it falls off on a hot summer day, it's going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I don't worry about it. Yeah. So um, when you add your liquid, do you do it cold, hot, warm, neutral? Uh, cold or room temperature. Oh, okay. Oh, that's um, right, because you're using apple juice probably right out of the fridge. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, if I just bought it at the store, 
then I'll just, you know, use it off the shelf. Yeah. 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 Um, So when you're making henna, are you doing exact measurements or do you just kind of have, have that skill now where you've done it so many times, you can just kind of eyeball the proportions? Um, I eyeball it and I find, I live in Ohio and, uh, uh, (laughs) We have huge differentiations in humidity from oh, week to yeah. week and yeah. season to season. Yeah, same here. <laughs> um, and sometimes, and plus, like I said, I use all different kinds of henna. Um, so adding a set amount of liquid would never work for me. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, I noticed there's some hennas, like I got one from Morocco once, like a La Russa brand or something, and it just ate up the water like I had to add at least twice as much water to it and I never really I thought all henna just kind of absorbed it in the same way yeah it's weird it's weird how that how that works yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I I don't know why that is but I yeah I don't know how people can be like one and one quarter cups exactly <laughs> of liquid exactly like, 22 really? milliliters of liquid Well, and plus, if you're adding things that have some sugar in them, you know, like apple juice, which I use, naturally, it has a little bit of uh, sugar in it. Yep. Um, And that will make, you know, that pulls moisture from the air uh, and will affect the texture as well. Yeah, that's very true. Oh, and I was telling you yesterday, um, I just mixed up a batch of henna that is so incredibly stringy and usually how I test uh that my texture is correct is I watch the way it drips off the spoon and like ribbons into the bowl yeah and this henna was like gooey mozzarella and like (laughs) the bread dough like you have a ball of bread dough and you're trying to stretch it out into your pizza pan and it just (laughs) You know, it's just is these like silly putty. I mean, it was crazy. So my falling off of the spoon trick just was not cutting it. It wasn't working. And I kept adding sugar thinking, well, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? maybe this will so help. It's slightly over sugared. Uh, it'll be a little bit tarry, but yeah. I know it's not going to crack and fall off. So yeah. I just have to really uh, ensure that my my clients know don't smudge yeah yeah or just mark it with a sharpie to use only on really dry days or something right yeah so actually jumping ahead to consistency you test it by dribbling it off the spoon do you ever just cone it do a quick little cone and and test it out that way um rarely (laughs) that's one Uh, extra step yeah i do sometimes i'm pretty i'm a, a pretty lazy mixer um, a girl after my own heart. I'm so lazy. You know, I don't have time. I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know. I think of it, I guess, as a little more of an organic process. Yeah. And like I said, yeah. I feel like I should be able to use it no matter what. I mean, unless it's way too thick or way too thin. Yeah. You should be able to, to function and be flexible. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and as long as it's well sifted, um, yeah, and that's really well blended. Yeah, uh, I almost. should be able to use it as long as it doesn't have chunks in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I was saying before, I was at one conference once where someone 
uh, I don't know, some random person mixed up the henna paste. <laughs> and uh, the only liquid we had was orange juice, and oh. it had pulp in it. Oh, it was a nightmare. Oh, God. <laughs> as long as there's no pulp in it, yeah. I, can use, I can use about any henna. Yeah, and the thing with clogs is that first one is really infuriating and you get you get rid of it however you do it but you always hope that that's the last but if you're using pulp orange juice it's not going to be the last there's going to yeah. be another one sooner or later so you're just sitting there wondering when the next bomb is going to drop <laughs> and it's always in the middle of a really beautiful line yeah exactly you're trying to do this long sweeping smooth line and then yeah <laughs> that's and that's why I can't do J bottles because it, uh, invariably I would get a fart yeah. right in the middle of yeah. a long, beautiful line. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do when do you add your essential oils? Do you just do everything all at once? Henna, sugar, water, or, or you know, juice, and then essential oils, or do you do it in two steps? Um, I used to do two steps. Um, and then you realized you, know, you were I did lazy. The, like the 12 hours at yes. mashed potato consistency yeah. and then you add the oils and 12 more hours and then you add liquid to the right consistency yeah. uh, and now I dump everything in at once yeah that seems easier I still do the two-step method I think it's just habit but I don't like doing it I feel like it's just another extra step in there something new to remember so I was saying I I just can't remember why why we felt that we had to do it in two steps. Why did we have to wait after the initial mix before yeah, we I added the essential oils? I don't know. You know, I th uh, the only thing I remember is you know when Catherine Cartwright Jones, you know, it discovered terps and how well they would help henna. Her process was always mix the henna, wait for dye release and then add the essential oils. I don't remember the logic of it, but I've done it that way ever since. I never really questioned it. And pretty much everyone that I've been interviewing is saying that they just add it all at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, I did the two-step up until just a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, I've been mixing <laughs> henna for 14 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I just was like, okay, that's the way we do it. Okay, no, it's, it's some ancient rite, you know, like you have to cross yourself and then bow and then face east and bow and <laughs> oh my god did you ever do the dried limes the what dried, oh, dried limes. limes no never oh that was one god. of those things where i was like that's way too that's just too much work well you know when you're new to henna and you're enthralled by yes. the whole thing yes. and it all seems very magical yes. and Mystical. exotic yeah. You know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, Middle Eastern and yeah. you have, like, you know, belly dance music playing in the background. And you while had to you go find those dried limes. You had to, well, you know, either make them yourself or go oh, to I some mysterious little them. shop in the, in the bad part of town. <laughs> I, I bought a bag of limes and, you know, thinly Baked sliced. Yep, My yep. fingers are bleeding, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I put them, Ugh. I uh, put them on skewers. Oh my God. That's great. So they're spaced out like at least oh, about a half an inch, I guess. So there'd be air circulation yeah. between the slices. God. And then I set them on the grate in my oven and put it on like 200 degrees yeah. and ran the wow. oven all day long. Wow. And then what you do is you reconstitute them in yeah, water exactly. and then use that water 
And it's like, oh really? God. Why no. did I not think that through? <laughs> no, I did a little <laughs> bit of like cooking tea with herbs and then I, and I'm just like, by nature, I don't really follow any kind of, you know, any kind of uh, dogma you know, that's not based on some kind of fact. So when I realized that none of that made any difference, I was like, screw that. So I never got around to actually cutting up limes and drying them. <laughs> well, I gave that up very, very quickly. Yeah, that's just way too much work, especially when you're really busy and you're like, I have to make henna, but I haven't prepared the limes. <laughs> and you become so dependent on those limes and it just takes over your life. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I used to do, the only thing I really did religiously religiously, um, was cook cloves and lemon juice for my, for my mix. Oh, you didn't worry about cloves no. being an irritant? No. <laughs> <laughs> so cloves okay. and lemon juice. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I just made kind of a tea out of it. I think I used that for my lemon sugar, not for the henna. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, I hate lemon sugar so much. Oh, <laughs> Oh my God. Well, my thought is, I mean, not only do I not like people returning for sealant, yeah, but, um, that is so sticky and itchy feeling. I mean, it's like, it's like you dumped the, the mix for lemonade on yeah. your hand yeah. and then you have to walk around all day with this sticky, itchy stuff yeah. on your, yeah. uh, and, I, I do it and for then brides. people want to wash it. Yeah. Cause it's so icky. Yeah. yeah, and my feeling is I would rather have the henna be on the skin less time, yeah, and that, that and have you keep dry mm -hmm. and not wash your hand yeah, for a long time. Yeah, I do it for brides, but usually brides know that they're going to have to do that, and they just know the rules, so they don't bother as much. And yeah, I do it well, for and they're probably opinions. wrapping too, so yeah. it, it's a, the feeling is a little different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to mix. Um, how do you, uh, how big are your batches in general? Um, I usually do about 200 grams at a time for oh. body art. Uh, and, and for hair, I'll do like 400 grams just cause I use more of it at a time. Yeah. And what kind of tools do you use for that bowl mixer? Um, I use the, the tools that I have in my kitchen that I feed my family with, <laughs> Um, you know, so many people talk about having a dedicated bowl and yeah. a dedicated spoon. Yeah. Um, and there's all this literature about, you know, don't use metal with yeah. your henna. Yeah. Um, and actually I think that probably goes back to like the Lucille ball days when there were, um, the metallic salts in the henna oh, boxes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but if you, you know, we're not using lead bowls in yeah. our kitchen yeah um so anything that you eat out of is fine to mix your henna in now if you use wooden spoons or plastic spatulas it, they're gonna stain yeah so i don't do that yeah uh yeah and i guess wood would soak up your essential oil odors yeah uh, but yeah i use my hand mixer that i use to make whipped cream and cookies mm -hmm. and i uh, if I'm doing a big batch, I get out my um, KitchenAid. Oh, okay. And let that thing go to town. And, yeah. you know, that's the same stuff I use uh, for food because it kind of washes off. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just plastic or wood where it st that smell sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't, I don't use plastic. Yeah. I use glass or metal or oh, okay. ceramic. Yeah. 
And then what about dye release? How do you test for that? Or how do you look for that? No testing. No testing. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Getting a clear uh, picture of you. <laughs> Very nonchalant attitude. Always yeah. always works. I but, mean, in but the that's years, years, that's I've years had of experience. one time where it hasn't worked and, or it hasn't worked well. Mm-hmm. And that was because it was way over sugared. Yeah. But that's years of experience knowing what to look for and you know, I just, um, behavior. I know what my, you know, my room temperature tends to be between 68 and 73. Yeah. Um, and I use cold or room temperature liquid mm-hmm. and with the mixing, if it's cold from the refrigerator, it warms up right away to room yeah. temperature. Yeah. Just the emotion. Um, all my hennas are from really good suppliers. That's all from people who are body artists. So, so they, they know, know. it's going to work. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't ever buy anything off of the shelf in a store ever, oh, no. ever, ever. No. I've never done that. Yeah. Um, because when I started, like I said, I brought stuff home from Morocco where they had a lot of turnover. Yeah. So it was all very fresh. Yeah. Uh, and then right away I got on the henna page and started getting henna from Catherine. Yeah. Uh, so I've always used body art quality yeah. henna. That makes such a huge difference. Yeah, I don't ever remember using any of those Indian brands, those odd yeah, brands. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I don't want to sound like an elitist, but it always surprises me when people say, I bought henna for off the shelf at my local Indian store. And I'm like, why would you... That well, just it's, order you know, a dollar ninety nine or something, you know, like yeah, but the extra you get it ten dollars or seven dollars. I know, I know. That's and that's what I always tell my students. Like, just don't go cheap on henna. It's already so cheap. Even at eight nine dollars, it's so cheap. There's no point. Yeah, it's the oils. That yeah, are the yeah, thing. exactly. Um, but you know, because I know my oils are good and I know my henna is good, I mix it up. I cover it with plastic. I mm-hmm. leave it on my kitchen counter. And I generally mix it in the afternoon or the evening, Mm -hmm. and then I wait till the next morning or even the next afternoon. So anywhere between 18 and 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. And then I tone it up and stick it in the freezer. Yeah. And because it has a longer life than 24 hours. Yeah, definitely. So even if it would die release after six hours um or which it would still you'd still be in that window of where it's good yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. and i use it and or keep it in the freezer yeah and none of this refrigerator stuff yeah no, yeah it. it takes it takes two minutes to thaw in your hand in a cone yeah exactly yeah well i usually just like put it under my arm or in my cleavage or something i do that too <laughs> it's nice on a summer day <laughs> It really, really is. In the winter, I have my, I put my uh, seat warmer on and I'll just tuck it like under my thigh. So oh, it's perfect. between my leg and the seat warmer. Yeah. And by the time I get to my gig, it's ready. Do you make sure that your henna is like under the pilot light or? No. You don't do that whole thing of keeping it warm and. No. Overnight. No. Yeah. I don't know. Room temperature, 18 to 24 hours is plenty. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So if, so if you had three pieces of advice that you think are key for newbies learning to mix henna, what would those three things be? Um, don't 
mess around. I was going to use another word, but I think <laughs> you're probably PG-13 here. Just, yeah, just uh, don't mess around with a bunch of fancy mixes. You know, use something basic, like, you know, as far as your liquid goes. Um, you know, if you want to use lemon juice, use lemon juice. You don't have to squeeze lemons. If you're going to use apple juice, that's fine. If you're going to use tea or water, you know, whatever you choose, because a lot of there are a lot of different views out there about what's best. But you, you don't have to use anything fancy for that. But you have to use the best henna that you can get. That would yeah. be number two. Um, and keep it in the freezer. Keep your paste in the freezer. Yeah. Uh, to me, those are the three big things about mixing. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. And then just to wrap up, what what do you feel when you're mixing henna? Um, you know, it's uh, earlier we talked about, you know, when you first start and you're so enamored of it and mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, you'll do things like slice and dry lines. Um, but now it's just kind of like, um, I don't know, it's still kind of a homey thing, like baking bread. You know, I like mm -hmm. to make my own bread and... Uh, uh, make cakes and stuff like that so it's kind of along those lines it's kind of a I, I kind of feel like I'm in a, a club of old-fashioned things that you do yourself you know it's a small group of us who do this and it's kind of like look I do this yes yeah. I do um <laughs> I, you know, I like the smell and the process it's it's fun. It's good. It's relaxing. I mean, sometimes, you know, like you said, oh my God, I have a gig and I don't have my henna mixed. And, uh, so yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's a chore. Sometimes it is, but yeah. generally it's, um, generally I like it and I'm lucky. Uh, my husband does not mind the smell. So, you know, I see all these posts, people are like, uh Oh, my husband won't come in the house because it reeks of essential oils. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but you've demonstrated that your husband is a very easygoing kind of guy. He's he's the one who uh, grew his beard out for you, right? So you could demonstrate henning a beard. Yes, <laughs> yes. He, um, I have a couple of videos on YouTube. Uh, and one day I said, honey, how would you feel about growing out a beard? Just so that I can dye it with henna and indigo and then you can shave it right off. He's like, sure, I'll start today. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> What a guy. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I love the saucy look on his face when he's modeling his hennaed beard. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was a classic. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming back to discuss your mix. Absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think we covered everything we covered the first time. And maybe I think a little so. bit more. <laughs> So, all right. Well, thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, Kenzie. Talk to you later. Okay. You're welcome. Bye, Deb. Bye. All right. I am here with Rebecca. And Rebecca, could you say your name for me so that we know how it's pronounced? Rebecca Friedner. Okay. That's pretty simple. And yeah. um, most people who follow the podcast know that I have uh, already interviewed you and I think they know all the basic details about you, but you are in Vermont, correct? Yes. Virgins? Virgins. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today I'm talking to you about mixing henna. 
So I was wondering if you could start out by telling me what your ingredients are and go ahead and tell me any brand names that you use. Go ahead and plug anything that you're really loving these days or that okay. you've tried in the past and you love. Okay. Um, what I'm loving these days is a 50-50 blend of Darcy's Raj, her Henna uh -huh. uh, Lounge Raj, and the Raj from Henna Caravan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I came to that finally and I was so relieved because uh Henna Caravan's Raj last year was really, really snotty and stringy mm -hmm. and Darcy's was a little bit creamier. Uh-huh. And the combination is perfect. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. So that's the powder and then I I'm a little bit afraid of sugar, so I actually use very little sugar. Okay. Um, Why are you I, afraid of it? Because it melts. Talk to me. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> because it melts. And yeah. I put henna on really, really thick and heavy. True. And it's a disaster when it melts. Um, yeah. But I think it's just because of how I use it. I, I've definitely practiced with some of the more like scratchy techniques where you don't get the like the relief, you know, the like yeah. Yeah, sculptural. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, for that, sugar is probably really important because if I worked with lines like that with my paste, yeah. they would just fall right off the skin. That's I don't true. think they would ever stain. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so for like 100 grams of henna, I use about 20 grams of sugar, which probably wow. is barely a teaspoon. That's very little. And right? you have the same kind of humidity levels as New York City, right? Roughly? Yeah. I think you guys probably get, well, you know, maybe you're probably right. Maybe a little right. bit warmer, but maybe yeah. about the same humidity. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I've just had too many, you know, I do so much henna outdoors during mm -hmm. the summer. I've had too many of those, like, sticky August <sighs> days with, yeah. like, too much. slides off. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. And yeah. people's hands are already moist, oh, you know, because yeah. Wedding, yeah, it's so gross. But even in the winter, like I just don't even change my recipe, and I don't. I, it, people get great stains at this point. Yeah. I'm so confident in my henna that I tell people if you can keep it on an hour, that's great. Yeah, Longer, that's better. Great. Yeah, I mean, cool. I really, like let go of everything that I sort of learned when yeah. I start doing henna, yeah. and really am doing what works for me. Cool. It doesn't work for everybody, but yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so that's the sugar. And then do you want me to or keep the working? lack of sugar? <laughs> lack of sugar. Yeah. Should I keep working with amounts? Do you want me to talk about my amounts too? Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, definitely. Um, let's, let's get through all of your ingredients and yeah, amounts are good at this point too. Um, and I mix my henna with tea. Okay. What kind I, of tea? Black or? Just make a strong black tea. Okay. Um, and I mix it in warm mm -hmm. and warm, I, not, not hot. No, not hot. Okay. And if I, you know, if I get sidetracked or distracted, sometimes it's cold, but it would never be hot. Yeah. And even cold, it's not going to be refrigerator cold. It'll be Vermont room temperature cold. Exactly. Which yeah. nine months out of the year is about 50 degrees. <laughs> Still not refrigerator cold. <laughs> okay. Tea. And then what else? And. Uh, essential oils. And where do you get your essential oils? What brand do you like? I get most of my essential oils from New Directions. Oh, okay. Uh, 
they they're affordable like their organic kaja put is totally affordable oh, cool. um and they just had a price drop on their lavender oh, cool. nice. uh, and what else do i use oh i use bergamot but i oh. get a specific kind of bergamot that is bergaptine i don't know how to pronounce it do you don't ask me <laughs> Bergaptine free, and I guess the Bergap- it's what free. Let me see if I can spell it: B E R G A P T double E N. Apparently, that is the component that causes photosensitivity. Oh. So, a citrus product without having to worry about citrus allergies or yeah. people sun all day at festivals wearing my henna. Yeah. Hmm. Um. And then what's uh, usually in your mix? Just the bergamot, or do you use other things as well? But and lavender. Can you put in lavender? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, primarily kajaput. Yeah, it's usually cheaper than the others. Cheaper, and I feel like it's the workhorse, you know, and everything yeah. is just for prettiness. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So when you are mixing henna, do you have proportions do you have measurements or do you just kind of eyeball it i i do i have measurements um and i'm surprised at myself because i i sort of was resistant to being really like scientific about it for a long <laughs> like when i cook i just throw things together i look at a cookbook to get an idea of flavor and then i make it up myself and um and i used to do that with my henna as well and I guess, you know, once I figured out what was working really well, I just didn't want to lose it, you know? So now I do, I I am really specific. I have a scale. I work with grams. Um, I measure everything and I time, I time the resting period, but Uh not really. I I generally just don't want to go too long. You're not setting a timer, but you're, at least like, okay, in six hours, I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. When do you add the essential oils? All at once. So everything, henna, the minuscule amounts of sugar, tea, and then, and essential oils all at once. Make a well, like if you've ever made, um, yeah. (laughs) Flour. So I sort of make a well in my henna and I make a big puddle of tea and then I'll dump my essential oils in there and get that mixed up to start. Oh, cool. And how big are your batches usually? I have started making very small batches very frequently. Um, and uh, so I make a 50-gram batch every time. Oh. And the reason I do that is because I'm really fickle. And I'll go through phases of, like, really loving a loose paste and really enjoying it, and then one day being like, this is so dumb, why am I f- you know, dealing with this runny paste. (laughs) So that gives me an opportunity to mix it. And then the other thing too, is that I mix my, my henna, I focus on the consistency based on weather more than I do the sugar. So, you know, I'll I'll mix it wetter during a really dry winter day Mm -hmm. and drier if I'm going to be at a hot market. Yeah. And I feel like I'm losing my voice. I've been talking since like five o'clock this morning. Oh God! <laughs> oh, so what was your question? 
I was asking how big your batches are. So I do 50 gram batches and that means I can make henna once or twice a week and get it dialed just the way I want it. Or yeah. if I end up with a batch that's just annoyingly thick, you know, I can just get through it in two days and make a fresh one instead of being stuck with like some jumbo batch of paste that's not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Uh, and what do you use when you mix your henna? What kind of bowl? What kind of mixer do you use? This is so fun <laughs> to talk about. Uh, what do I use? I have a glass Pyrex bowl that I love, um, and it's just the right size. It's like it's like one of a set of stacking mixing bowls. Yeah. Um, and it's just the right size. It fits in my palm, and I can just stir, stir, stir. I have this old wooden spoon that, like, you know, when you're right-handed, the left side of the spoon starts to disintegrate oh and... yes <laughs> so I have this wooden spoon it's my special mixing spoon I don't use beaters or anything electric because my batches are so small yeah. it's really easy to just do it by hand and I I think um I wouldn't be able to judge the consistency very well with an electric beater true so that's a, that's actually a good segue to my next question <clears throat> is consistency. I think this is something that we get a lot of questions about, you know, that people have been doing it for a while. We hear this a lot from newbies. How, what consistency should I be going for? And you always hear these, these kind of vague terms like, oh, it should be as thick as toothpaste. It should be as thick as yogurt. But what kind of toothpaste? What kind of yogurt? And then also, you know, how do you, how do you really explain to someone how to test consistency? So I want to know what you do to test your consistency and if you actually put it into a cone and test it. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Um, first, I do a lot of like lifting the spoon and just paying attention to how it stretches, mm. how it falls back in the bowl. Um, I pay attention to how it gives as I stir you know, once I add and, and I get towards the end and I'm adding like incremental amounts of liquid. Sometimes I'm just <laughs> my spoon in my, um, glass of tea water just to wet the spoon. Like that's how little I'm going towards the end. Yeah. I think I mix mine thicker than most of my henna artist friends prefer mm -hmm. worked alongside Nev and lots of other people at like HennaCon and they don't like my henna. They can't use it. So mine's just on the edge. I've definitely mixed it too thick and, and hurt my hand yeah. you know, working a long market day. But how do I describe it? It's well, have you ever seen the video that Victoria Welch put out of her, like her preferred consistency? I don't think so. No. Well, hers is much looser than anything I could use. I wouldn't know what to do with it. Oh, okay. Such teeny tiny lines. It works great for her. Mm. I just I just use fat henna. It's always fat. I'm <laughs> doing all my dots are fat and my lines are fat. And so I think it just works better to have it be a little sturdier, you know, have a little bit more body. Yeah. So um, do you put it into a cone and test it, like for every batch? 
do. So I'll first, I'll put it in my carrot bag. And then before I go ahead and cone everything, I'll do one and test it on my knee or on my inner forearm. Mm-hmm. Like all the sort of typical variations of like the um, pearl strings and little, those little paisleys that are more like a fat tissue, you know, mm-hmm. grid. I'll put dots on the grid. I'll do all those sorts of variations. I'll do a series of humps and make sure nothing bleeds together. I make sure um, that it settles onto the skin because that's besides hurting your hand. When your hand is too thick, it never really settles well right. on the skin and you end up with little gaps in your lines or draping lines is really hard when your hand is too thick because your hand breaks. There, you know, the lines break. Um, so I test all that stuff and then frequently we'll go back and um, empty the carrot bag and add a little bit more liquid. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it's true. All those things you say, I kind of, I, you know, I just kind of do a, I kind of eyeball it, but it's true. There's so many different instances where that consistency can make a difference. And sometimes a thinner consistency is good for certain things, but not for others. And then you you really have to know how you work or how you prefer to work. Right, exactly. That sort of fan shape a lot where the little elongated drops fan out. The sperm fans, you mean? Just say it. (laughs) Sperm fan? What? Um, It's a lot. And so that's something I test because when those run together, they're just ugly, you know? So when it comes to dye release, you're using two hennas that release at about the same rate, correct? I think they do. You usually mix them both together, right? I do, yeah. yeah. Um, so h- how do you time release? Do you actually go by the clock or do you just look at your hen after a few hours and see how it looks? I I definitely look at the clock before I start because I'm easily distracted and could forget yeah. completely what time of day I put it out. <laughs> Um, so yep, I'll look at the clock and then I usually check it in two hours and usually it's ready to go. Oh, and you use a, uh, hot liquid. So that's probably why I use a warm liquid and then I have a a lamp in my studio. That's just perfect. And I wrap my little bowl up in some fabric and I put it under the lamp and it's just sort of like an incubator. It's not, it doesn't get hot at all, but it just keeps warm. Yeah. It keeps it warm. It's like a little baby chicken. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And how long do you do you just keep it warm for those two hours or or and do you let it sit longer after that or do you just right away start coning it? Well, I'll check it in two hours and oh, okay. you know, sometimes I'll get busy and it'll be four hours and that's totally fine, but I'll definitely like make a point to check it in two hours if I if I'm available. And, you know, I'd say for me, my window could be anywhere between two and six hours. My henna's great, you know, yeah. if it's, it, it really doesn't, I've not seen any difference at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'll go to Kona and sometimes that process takes a while. So, you know, you do need to add that on. It's not like removing it from the bowl means that it's stopped. It's die releasing process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's continuing. Yeah. Um, and then depending on my schedule, I'll either, um, you know, just apply it 
Mm-hmm. That maybe I have a party that night and I'll just leave my cones out, which I assume is continuing die release another yeah. several hours, you yeah, know. Definitely. Um, or I or I do freeze them. And how do you freeze them? How do you wrap them up for the freezer? I put them in a bag and I put them in the freezer. What kind of bag? <laughs> Sorry to be so specific. <laughs> a silk embroidered bag. That... <laughs> really? No. I use <laughs> I have a whole stash of like gnarly falling apart Ziploc bags that I take from my home kitchen and bring to my studio and um, I just throw them in there and roll it, you know, like I'll throw them in the bottom of the big gallon bag and just roll closed. Yeah. Yeah. And just roll all the air out. I don't do anything. Yeah. And then they have several layers of plastic, you know, around them. Oh, right. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. Um, so do you have any henna mixing disaster stories? Hmm. Henna mixing disaster. I have had my carrot bag blow out. Oh, big disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I was using a rubber spatula to like, you know, scrape it off of me and the table and everything and trying to capture as much as I could. Because of course we're preparing our henna for a gig hours you know yeah. I was like I needed that so yeah that was a disaster um and yeah two weeks ago with my thick henna that felt like a disaster I felt like I was fighting with my henna like all day oh that's the worst and, oh, it was the worst my hand was hurting I was like starting to do like shorter designs and like charging less money because I just couldn't even deal with oh. you know you do like you know how you do those um lines those wispy lines and you do a bunch of pressure just at the end to give it that nice fat wispy bit at the the end does that make sense Uh well it's just like it was just making this like big fat ripply ribbon like it wouldn't even make a shape yes then you go back and you have to like sculpt this horrible thick paste (laughs) to make some sort of (laughs) shape (laughs) yeah it's awful. I just wanted to cry. It was terrible. Wow. Yeah, I've had instances like that, and it's so dulling to the creativity, too. I just lose all of the flow of my ideas. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think one of the things we as henna artists love about working with henna is the flow. Like, your yeah. ideas are literally like these creamy, flowing creations, and it helps our creativity. But, yeah, no, that was really bad oh sounds awful I've so been there um so if you were to give your average newbie henna artist three pieces of advice about mixing what would that be hmm I you know what I think the first thing anyone should do is just not listen like like you know (laughs) the basics like obviously you need some liquid that's safe for the body start Uh with you know, start simple, test every hour just to get a feel for the henna. I feel like sometimes people are searching for like the answer or like the recipe or the, you know, like this formula. And I don't believe that there is one. I think that it has to just be something you discover and you're not going to be able to discover it if you don't really know how henna works in the first place. So like get a feel for it, test it every hour, 
like goop it around with your spoon, put it in a cone before you've smoothed it out and figure out why we smooth it out. Try it without straining, try it with straining, like just have fun with it, play with it and, and maybe let go of some of the rigidity and, and see what works for you. Yeah. So, um, I just heard you say straining. Do you strain your paste? I don't strain my paste. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, go on. Second piece of advice for newbies. Second piece of advice for newbies. Um, I don't know. I feel like my first piece of advice was like at least three long, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think your first piece of advice spoke volumes. And I think it, it pretty much summed up a great philosophy for learning how to mix henna. I think the first piece of advice negates the other two. Like, <laughs> so you're admitting that there are two others. You just won't share them. No, no, it it makes them moot. Maybe as well. <laughs> yeah, and back to straining. I don't strain because I'm lazy, not because I don't think I should, because I'm constantly picking little clogs out of my cone, and I would much rather do that than deal with straining. I hate straining. Wow, really? Why? Um, well, actually, two reasons. One, uh, it changes the consistency of my paste, so I get it perfect, and then I have to strain it, and then all of a sudden it's too liquidy. And I've never been able to, like... I've never been able to f mitigate that. Like, I don't know how to not make it too loose after I strain. Yeah, I said there were two reasons. Oh, the other reason is that it's annoying. <laughs> That's a good reason, too. Yeah, I think I've just strained from day one, so I'm just used to mixing it a little bit thick, straining it, and then, I don't know. I'm just used to that. So. It just requires more patience than I have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the last question I want to ask you before we end is how do you feel when you're mixing henna? What things are going through your mind or what are you feeling? Uh, well, I love mixing henna. Uh, I, tr I try to be really present when I mix henna and I, I, I don't know what effect it has in the long run, but at least for that moment, I feel like I want to take a minute to acknowledge this plant that's given me like a living. I make a living on, you know, based on this little henna plant. So I try to acknowledge that and have a moment of gratitude. I try to release any, any like feelings of, Oh, that, you know, a bad gig or a, an appointment where I feel like I didn't do my best work or, um, anytime I've been too hard on myself as a henna artist, I try and let that all go and make my batch a fresh start. So I'm really intentional about that. I really yeah. am. Once in a while, I will I'm crazy, but once in a while, I will write down a few, a list of encouragements or, you know, like, um, affirmations that I feel like I'm really missing or needing and I'll write them down on a little piece of paper and stick them along with my bowl of henna while it's sitting under its little light like oh that's great I'm crazy what <laughs> crazy I'm sorry you're getting cut off say that again 
Hoping that I didn't sound crazy. No, not at all. I love that. Yeah, so I will do that, and I save them. I have little slips of paper just sort of stashed away. Um, so, yeah, I do. I try to make it really intentional, and I, I trust in beauty as I'm mixing and trust that, you know, my business will continue to thrive because people want to feel beautiful. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, that ended abruptly. After that, Rebecca and I started chit-chatting while I was recording, and I never got a nice, clean close to the conversation, so I apologize for that ending. Thank you all for listening and for your comments and feedback. As you can tell from the intro to this episode, your feedback is very, very much appreciated, so keep it coming. Thanks to Nush Kurm for the photo, which I love looking at every time I work on the podcast. And thanks to Shlomi Cohen for the music, which I also love listening to while I work on each episode. I love being surrounded by creative people, and I even have a new addition to the creative team for this podcast, which you will learn about very soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and see you next episode. Bye!